thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota. It's the Minnesota Twins 3, the Cleveland Guardians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And believe me, it is definitely early in the morning while we are recording right now. It's the life of a new dad, right? When the do those early morning feedings, I'm up. Let's do a podcast. All uh, right, let's get into the storylines of this game, and we're going to talk through everything. And then we got our first email in a while. Uh, Chris, a frequent emailer who emailed a lot during the offseason, has a few questions for us. So we will dive into Chris's email after we talk about this game. Doesn't it just feel, it felt like all of last year, every time we really needed to win a series or there was a game that, you know, a big game that we were all excited for, it just didn't go our way. Right, the offense just didn't show up, and that's kind of how it felt yesterday. We kind of all wanted to really win this series against Minnesota. I had tweeted out it had been since April, it had been since LA in April since we had lost a series. Yeah, sure, we split a couple, uh, you know, with like San Diego, we split that double header, but we hadn't lost a series since April, and it would have been really nice to keep that going, but instead, yesterday. We lose the finale of that series. It was a pitcher's duel. The top storyline in this one, it was a pitcher's duel between two of the top prospects, two of the top fastball-throwing prospects in all of baseball, Tristan McKenzie and Joe Ryan from Minnesota. Remember, Ryan came over from Tampa Bay. He came over in that uh, trade for Nelson Cruz last year. And, I mean, this guy's scouting report that fastball, it's a 60-grade fastball on his scouting report. This is going back to 2021 scouting report when he was the number six prospect in the Minnesota system. And we probably talked about this last year because he did start twice against Cleveland in September last year. So we did get a chance to see him. But yeah, that fastball is the thing about this guy. And it's not that he throws it 98, 99 miles per hour. It's that he locates it. He locates it at the top of the strike zone and it's a really effective location for him up there, working off of that slider, which he gets a lot of swing and miss on. All right, so uh, let's get into this actual details of this game, because in this one, Ryan and McKenzie really go at each other here. And it's, it, I mean, it's weird to say for two guys that never actually faced each other, they were really battling back and forth each inning. Um, they weren't really racking up the strikeouts, but, I mean, they were just making outs. They were just putting away hitters. I mean, six hits for the Guardians on the day. Only four hits for the Minnesota Twins on the day. Now, McKenzie does help them out with two walks. And both those walks come to Luis Arise. One of them in the first inning. And he would eventually come around to score. He would steal second. And then uh, Kepler would drive him in uh, with a shot into right field to bring him in to score. So a walk does prove costly to McKenzie in that first inning, but then they would settle down, and uh, we would get into a duel, and it would be the solo home runs that would decide this game, so, I mean, you thought McKenzie throws a lot of four-seam fastballs, 52 four-seam fastballs from Tristan McKenzie on the day, a 55% uh, of his pitches were four-seam fastballs, Ryan on the other side throws 78 four-seam fastballs of his 103 pitches, 78, 76% four-seam fastballs, and it was working for him. I had 37 swings, nine whiffs, 
It's good for a 24% whiff rate. 16 called strikes, though. Just pounding the strike zone with that fastball. And it's good for a 32% CSW on that pitch. Meanwhile, Tristan McKenzie with his forcing fastball, 27 swings, only four whiffs. So it's good for a 15% whiff rate. He did add in nine called strikes, which makes it an all right 25% CSW. Now, the slider for McKenzie was really working. 16 swings, 9 whiffs. That's a 56% whiff rate on that slider. Uh, the secondary stuff for uh, for Joe Ryan didn't really go to it that much. I mean, only threw the slider 13 times. 9 change-ups, 3 curveballs. Only got one whiff amongst those three off-speed pitches. And one uh, home run on that change-up. So, uh it was all fastballs, just absolutely all fastballs. So going over to Illustrator to see where they were locating things, McKenzie was attacking the zone. It was a really good day from Tristan McKenzie. Uh, the fastball was attacking up in the zone. Uh, the slider he was attacking with, he wasn't just letting that slider swing across to the opposite batter's box. He was attacking the zone with the slider and the curveball. All three of those pitches were in the zone, and they had to be ready for him. Ryan, it's a lot of high fastballs. Uh, the slider was in the zone, but he was also sweeping it across to the other batter's box a lot. Um, and then the changeup, he was leaving, uh, probably to left-handed hitters, I'm guessing, leaving on the on the arm side of the plate for him. So uh, some of the interesting things here, the called strikes. there was That was a lot of called strikes amongst those fastballs. McKenzie's were all on the plate. Every one of McKenzie's called strikes was in that strike zone on the plate. For Ryan, he got a ton of calls off the plate. I mean, uh, Quan, he got him one for a called strike in the sixth inning. That's at least two or three baseballs off the plate to the arm side. Uh, Jose Ramirez, same thing, got a called strike out there. Um, Quan took another one in the fourth inning to start his at bat in the fourth inning. That was way off the plate to the glove side. So yeah, Straw took one way outside to start off the sixth inning uh, for a called strike. So there were some complaints. For me, Reyes took a called strike out there. There were definitely at least five pitches that you could say completely missed the strike zone, and uh, Ryan got the call on it. I don't know. That this is, But nobody got a call high or low. These calls were all inside and outside of the plate. Um, nobody got a call high or low for a strike. So that apparently was the strike zone yesterday. And that even goes for the relief pitchers that came in afterwards. So, uh, you know, you got to adjust as a hitter, I guess, but it's very frustrating when you're a patient hitter like Stephen Kwan and you're taking called strikes that you know are off the plate. Miles Straw knows some of those pitches are off the plate. So that's a pretty frustrating thing for Guardians hitters that Brian took, you know, he got the benefit of because uh, it really helped him out in this game. Uh, he didn't really rack up the strikeouts. I mean, the final line, six innings pitched, four hits, one earned run, no walks, five strikeouts, and the one solo home run allowed. Only hard hit five times, though. McKenzie on the other side, seven innings pitched, so he goes a little deeper. Three hits, three earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts. That's it, only four strikeouts, and the two home runs allowed on 95 pitches. He's hard hit nine times. McKenzie... Um, yeah, didn't really rack up the strikeouts either, but that's a quality start. I mean, seven innings pitched, three runs, that's a quality start right there from McKenzie. On most days, that should be good enough to get a win. All right, those were the called strikes, but where were all the strikeouts? Uh, 
Where were the locations for the final strikeouts? For McKenzie, one of them didn't register here. Uh, I got two of them on sliders. Uh, one at the top of the zone to Giovanni Urshela and one outside to Gary Sanchez. I think there was another one to Sanchez. If I believe, let me jump back to the box score really quick. I believe Sanchez did strike out twice, and I believe one of these was at the bottom of the zone. It doesn't look like it registered on StatCast. And then he got Jeffers on a fastball up. For Ryan, uh, he got Andres Jimenez on a fastball up. He got Palacio swinging on an inside fastball. Um, what was the speed on that? I mean, the pitch speed is only 92.7, but he blew it by him there. Uh, he got Owen Miller on a called strike on the outside edge. That one was a strike. That one, he just froze Owen Miller. Uh, he gets Fermil Reyes on that one that we said was off the plate. And uh, a slider to Owen Miller got him twice. Owen Miller did not have a good day. Uh, I really think that cleanup spot for Owen Miller, I don't think it's working. I, I really want to see a change as soon as Naylor's back from the COVID list. Uh, so that was the location of the strikeouts. So yeah, it's an interesting mix. Joe Ryan's fastball versus Tristan McKenzie's fastball. Now, Ryan's fastball has actually, the percentage that he uses it has been coming down. Not yesterday. Uh, his rookie season, it was 65.8% fastballs. This season, it's down to 52.8% fastballs. And then yesterday, he's over 70%. So uh, definitely something in the scouting report said throw fastballs to Guardians hitters. He goes from in the 50s to 76% fastballs. Um, McKenzie, just so you compare... Uh, he throws that fastball 63.3% of the time, and that's pretty consistent. Last year, it was 61.6. Now, the movement on these pitches, let's get into it. Let's get into these fastballs because it's interesting here. Tristan McKenzie, the thing about his fastball is it doesn't drop. It only has 11.8 inches of drop. That's 2.6 inches better than the average fastball in Major League Baseball. And it is the color on StatCast will tell you if it's elite or if it's falling behind the rest of the league. And this is a deep red, which tells me that this fastball is one of the straightest, one of the least dropped fastballs in all of baseball. 11.8 inches of drop. Joe Ryan on the other side, his fastball drops 17 inches. And that's about league average. I mean, pretty much 0.1 above league average. So basically a league average drop on that fastball. Now, the difference is his has horizontal break to it. 11.4 inches of horizontal break on a four-seam fastball. This isn't a two-seamer. This isn't a cutter. This is a four-seam fastball, and it's got 11.4 inches of break on the higher side. Not elite, but on the higher side of the league. 2.4 inches of horizontal movement better than league average. When we go to Tristan McKenzie's, though, it only has 3.1 inches of horizontal break. That's negative 2.7 compared to league average. So I'm talking McKenzie's is straight as an arrow and doesn't drop at all. It actually probably feels like it rises a little bit. Whereas uh, Ryan's does come in like a normal fastball, 17 inches of drop, but it's got movement to it, horizontal movement to it. That's something you're probably not expecting. Um the run value on his four-seam fastball, on Joe Ryan's four-seam fastball, is negative six. One of the better in the league, based on the color red I'm seeing here. I wish if you hovered over it, it would actually show you what that percentile ranking was. Um, so it's a negative six run value, which is good. You want that run value in the negative numbers as a pitcher. 
For McKenzie, it's a negative two run value on his forcing fastball. So Ryan's has been a little more effective. The value of it has been a little bit better uh, than Tristan McKenzie's. I can tell you so far in this season, uh, they're hitting 207 off of off of McKenzie's fastball. They're hitting 207. Uh, they're slugging 293 off of his fastball, off of Joe Ryan's fat, and that is not updated from yesterday because I can tell you there's two more home runs to add to that fastball. Uh, Joe Ryan's fastball, let's see here, they are hitting 115 off his fastball, slugging 231. Again, probably not updated from yesterday. So that's the comparison on the two fastballs between McKenzie and Joe Ryan. Both elite guys. They they are going to be elite pitchers in this game. We're going to have to deal with Joe Ryan for a while in Minnesota, and they're going to have to deal with Tristan McKenzie for a while. All right. The other storyline in this game was the solo home runs, but it was really Jose Ramirez versus Giovanni Urshela. The two friends, the two longtime friends, spent a lot of time you know, jawing with each other, talking up their game, and Ramirez kicks things off with his solo home run in the fourth inning, and it tied the game up and boy, did he get to run his mouth after that. Um, he took a changeup down at the bottom of the zone uh, and gets it out for a home run. An interesting pitch for him to get a home run on. I mean, this was this was below the knees, technically. And he hits at 95.4 miles per hour. Now, it hits off that um, part of target field that juts out. Now, would that have been off the wall? Oh, it would have been close. It would have been really close to see if Kepler would have been able to get under it or if it would have been off the wall for a double, if that part of the field doesn't jut out at the top of the wall. Now, if that's in Cleveland, maybe that clears the wall anyways, right? Obviously, Minnesota has a ridiculously high wall out there in right field. In Cleveland, I think it's a nine-foot wall, right? It probably clears it. Who knows? Who knows? I'm sure there's somebody out there uh, in the stat world uh, who can analyze the launch angle of the ball, but it's a home run. That's all that counts. So it had tied the game up. Uh, you're feeling pretty good that Jose Ramirez is, you know, leading this comeback. And then they come up in the fourth inning. And Giovanni Urshela goes ahead and matches him. This is with two outs. He gets a fastball up that he turns on. Hits at 97.3 miles per hour. And they go back and take a 2-1 lead. So just when Jose Ramirez had a leg up on Giovanni Urshela... Giovanni Urshela comes right back to take the lead. Now, Buxton would add one in the fifth inning. He would also get a fastball up. And the problem for McKenzie is these two fastballs to Urshela and to uh, Buxton, these are just below the letters. Just below the letters, middle of the plate. Uh, Buxton's is middle of the plate. Urshela's is middle in. But these fastballs probably need to be a little higher. I mean, that's what Ryan was doing. Ryan was really doing a good job of hitting the top of the zone. I don't know what the target was for these on McKenzie, but I'm guessing if he gets these a little bit higher, maybe gets to change the launch angle just a little bit, these might be flyouts or pop-ups rather than home runs. But instead, he leaves them middle of the plate, below the letters, and a place where both these guys can drive the baseball, especially Buxton. My God, has he turned into a good home run hitter. And they jump up 3-1 on him. And that's all the Guardians offense can muster is this solo home run. Arshella also, also definitely won the battle with the glove. He made some amazing plays going to his right. 
going across the foul line, throwing back across his body. He gets Miles Straw on one of these plays. And Straw, I mean, we know Straw is lightning fast. And Urshela is able to throw him out. So impressive, impressive defense from Giovanni Urshela. Hey, hey, while we're talking about defense, Owen Miller did make a pretty crazy play at first base. Uh, A ball that hopped up almost over his head. You know, the thing they teach you from when you're a little kid is you stay down on ground balls. Stay down or that thing's going to go through your legs. You're going to look like Bill Buckner there at first base with the ball going through your legs. So Owen Miller staying down, staying down, and then that ball takes that last hop, hops almost over his head, and he's able to get that glove up there and snare it and flip it to McKenzie. And I believe it was Nick Gordon running. I think it was a pretty fast runner. I want to say it was Nick Gordon running on that one. So some good defense all around. Uh, Buxton almost had an amazing catch in center field. He crashed into the center field wall. I'm sure everybody in Minnesota held their breath on that one because the last thing anyone wants to see is Byron Buxton have another significant injury. Like, he's, he's too good. You want the stars of the game to be in there. We've talked about this before on the podcast. You never want, never want to face a team like that, you know, where the star is injured or something like that. You want to beat them. You want to play them and you want to beat them. Uh, so yeah, go ahead, Buxton didn't get hurt. It would have been an amazing catch if he could have come up with it. So yeah, there was some good defense all around. Straw was really policing in center field. He really ran some things down in center field uh, out there and saved a few hits. All right, uh, speaking of hits, the Guardians did have some chances. So after this solo home run, we did have some chances. Andres Jimenez hit that double that Buxton couldn't come up with, and he was left stranded on second base. And Miles Straw leads off the next inning with a double. He hits one in the gap, and they can't move him around. And he's stuck on second base. Even in the ninth inning, uh, Ahmed Rosario would hit one off Urshela's glove. Again, a diving attempt. Couldn't come up with this one. Tips off his glove. He ends up on second with a double. Fermil Reyes would ground out, though, to end the game. So three doubles on the day go for nothing. So we did get our hits in against them. Uh, We just couldn't come up with the big hit when we needed it. I mean, that's really the story of this game. It was just a nice pitcher's duel between two guys that, uh, you know, have the potential to be future all-stars. These are guys that could challenge for Cy Youngs one day. I mean, they're really, really good young pitchers. And uh, it was on display in this one. Unfortunately, the Guardians, like I said, it just felt like one of those days where nobody can really come up with any kind of heroics on offense. Uh, Palacios, we got to talk about this. Palacios did have a crazy at-bat in the third inning. Andres Jimenez did lead off the inning, and uh, he did strike out to lead off the inning. That was that pitch at the top of the zone that he swung through. And that brings up Palacios, who works a 10-pitch at-bat here, and nine of them are forcing fastballs at 92, 93 miles per hour. Uh, He was actually throwing harder and harder as the at-bat went on. Um, And he's trying everything here with his forcing fastball. Uh, gets a called strike on the first one, misses away with the second one, a swinging strike on the third one. I can't even see. That was on the inside edge. So now he's really got to work. He fouls off the fourth one in the exact same location. Uh, the fifth one, he misses in for a ball. So now he's worked it to a 2-2 count. The sixth one is at the top of the zone that he follows off. The seventh is the curveball down. Now he's got it back to a full count. And now he's just pounding the strike zone. All three of the next pitches are at the thighs, middle to middle outside of the plate. Three pitches in the three same in the same location. Fouls off pitch eight. Fouls off pitch nine. Finally delivers a ground ball through to right field, 105 mile per hour exit velocity, uh, for a hit on the tenth pitch. 
why Ryan didn't try to go back up. Maybe he did, and he just couldn't get you know get the ball up there. Why he went in the same location three times in a row on that full count, who knows? But Palacios working a 10-pitch at-bat in his first at-bat, that's pretty impressive stuff from the rookie to come up with that single there. So it was just a crazy at-bat. He fouled off you know, some tough pitches. He fouled off some pitches that he should have hit, frankly, and eventually gets one that he can do something with. So I thought it was an interesting at-bat from the rookie. That's really all my thoughts on this game. It's a pretty simple game when these pitchers go out there and dominate like this. So Tristan McKenzie definitely taking home MVP for the day. Like I said, nobody on offense really delivered much. You have the solo home run from Ramirez, a couple of doubles from three guys, and then Palacios did have two hits on the day. So nice to see from the young guy. But McKenzie really was the star of the day for Cleveland. The seven innings pitched. He really looked in control. Despite getting hard hit nine times, he did look in control all day. Right? It really felt like uh, even after giving up those home runs, he came right back, calm, collective, in control, gets through that sixth inning, gets through the seventh inning pretty easily, uh, and then De Los Santos pitches the eighth. All right, so let's go over to our email. Let's go over to our email question from Chris he says, first off, congratulations on the baby. Thank you, Chris. You know, things are going good. I'm not getting a lot of sleep, but other than that, things are going good. Uh, he says, for the Guardians, I'm really encouraged by the offense so far, the emergence of Stephen Kwan. Oh, yeah, we're all enjoying that. And the huge leaps forward for Andres Jimenez, Owen Miller, and Josh Naylor. Surprisingly, the starting pitching has been lagging behind expectations this far, and the bullpen has been pretty solid. I'd say that's a fair assessment of the team so far, Chris. Assuming Naylor is back soon from the COVID IL, what are your thoughts on the Ahmed Rosario, Richie Palacios platoon rotation in the last outfield spot, probably left field? It seems they may prefer Ramirez, Jimenez, Miller, and Naylor around the infield when everyone is at full health. I agree with you, Chris, that that is the probably the best configuration of our infield at this point. But Terry Francona does not has not shown any kind of commitment to that. He keeps moving Naylor out into right field where he he does not belong. He's not a good outfielder. Yeah, he knows what he's doing out there, but he's not good at it. He's much better defensively at first base if you're trying to keep his bat in the lineup every day. And same thing with Andres Jimenez. Jimenez, He's an elite shortstop. Now, he's going to be elite at second base as well, but if we want an elite defensive shortstop, Jimenez is the guy. The problem is I don't see Francona committing to that. He seems to want, he'll play Rosario out in left field for a day or two, and then it's over, right? And then he's right back at shortstop. So I don't see them platooning those guys. In fact, when Naylor's back, Palacios might end up going back down. He might just be the guy who has options and keeps getting sent back and forth to Columbus. Um, and that would let Ahmed Rosario to play a little more left field uh, if that happens. So I don't really see them in a natural platoon. Eventually, they have to make a decision on Ahmed Rosario. He's either an outfielder or they have to come up with a team to trade him to because there's just all these young guys banging at the door to play shortstop. And I'm and they're, they're much better defensively than Ahmed Rosario is. So yeah, I don't know if they're going to get that. I don't know if that defensive configuration that you described is going to happen. It'll be interesting to see who goes down. I mean, Chang, Yu Chang is back, but he hasn't played. I thought for sure he would get in on against the lefty. I thought for sure he would play on Sunday. No, he doesn't get in in this series. Um, so do they Do they have to try to move Chang through waivers? Do they have to DFA him? 
to make a spot when Naylor comes back, or the Palacios who gets sent back down. So it'll be interesting to see when they make a roster move for Naylor coming back off COVID. It will be it'll be telling. It'll be very telling of how they're going to configure the defense. Um, and then the last thing he asked me about is Oscar Gonzalez. Will he ever get an opportunity on field this year? He is destroying the ball uh, in Triple A right now, and yeah, he is. I mean, I looked up his numbers in Triple A. And he is destroying 315 batting average, 340 on base, 575 slugging. It's good for a 915 OPS. He's got seven doubles, two triples, and nine home runs uh, for Columbus. 33 RBIs and 20 runs scored. He is absolutely destroying the ball. Now, the strikeout to walk ratio is something that they've always been concerned with with him. I mean, in 2021, split between two levels, he had 112 strikeouts to 22 walks. Right now, he's at 20 strikeouts to five walks. Not terrible. I mean, it could be worse, but I think they're very worried about him facing Major League pitching and striking out a ton. Basically, what ha- they're worried Bobby Bradley. They're worried about what happened to Bobby Bradley could happen to Oscar Gonzalez. But when he's hitting the cover off the ball like that, yeah, when he's got a 9.15 OPS, when he's leading your minor league farm system in home runs, you would think at some point you got to take a look at this guy. So it'll be interesting to see if there is another injury in the outfield or anything like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Gonzalez ever gets a look. I would love to see it. In spring training, he held his own. He hit 292 with a 320 on base, a 500 slugging. It's good for an 820 OPS. That's pretty good. Three extra base hits, two doubles and a home run, six RBIs in uh, 25 plate appearances. He had an okay spring, and he was starting some games, so he was facing some major league pitching. Um, and I, I do. I do want to see him get a chance up here at the majors. I mean, what else does he have to prove in the minor leagues? He is 24 years old, so still a very young guy. Uh, who could have a very successful power-hitting career in the majors. You just got to give him his chance. Um, you know, it doesn't really fit. Uh, it doesn't really fit the organizational, you know, under Chris Valleca, the new hitting approach, which is these contact guys, which is Quan, which is Palacios. But he's hitting 315. So, I mean, how can you blame him for being a contact guy when he's hitting 315 in the minors? Or being, you know, a power, a home run or nothing guy when he's hitting 315. So, it will be interesting. Chris, thank you for emailing in. Uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see if Gonzalez ever gets that real opportunity with Cleveland or if that opportunity is going to have to come somewhere else because he's too good of a hitter not to get an opportunity somewhere. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Like I said, it was a pretty simple game when the pitchers are doing what they're doing. Uh, I believe we have an off day on Monday, and then we'll be back uh the Guardians will be back Tuesday night. We'll be back Wednesday morning to talk about that game. Uh, Overton is going to be pitching for the Reds, going against Plesak for the Guardians. By the way, the Reds, who just threw a combined no-hitter and lost the game 1-0. Oof. Man, we complain about some things, some days of not hitting on this show, but could you imagine that? Losing 1-0 and throwing a combined no-hitter. That's a tough one. And the Reds will be coming here next, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, what they do in this short little two-game series. All right, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Minnesota. It's the Twins 3, the Guardians 1. The Twins take the series two games to one. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.